This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Minnesota 2nd District Representative Angie Craig. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CropLife America. Learn about the EPA regulatory process at croplifeamerica.org slash federal pesticide regulation. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Minnesota Congresswoman Angie Craig next. The Environmental Protection Agency's high review standards help keep Americans safe. The agency's rigorous review process sets the standard for protecting the public and environment. That's why only 1 in 10,000 pesticides make the journey from the lab to the field. In fact, on average, it takes more than 11 years to develop data for and move fully through the EPA approval process for pesticides. Through federal preemption, EPA keeps millions of Americans safe by setting standards and creating uniform labels and packaging for pesticides. Learn more by visiting croplifeamerica.org slash federal pesticide regulation. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Minnesota 2nd District Congresswoman Angie Craig played an integral role in seeing key legislation approved last week to help consumers with the rising cost of food and fuel. Craig says she's been concerned about the nation's economy for some time and is sounding the alarm for change. Well, Jeff, thank you. It's um, It's been my priority for several months. I've been warning the administration uh, that we need to be laser-focused on identifying and uh, bringing forward uh, solutions. Uh, how are we going to bring down prices in our economy? And, of course, uh, input costs for my farmers and ranchers have gone up, and uh, it means grocery and fuel uh, prices have gone up for American consumers. And so it's uh, been a focus of mine for months now. I've been pressing the administration, and I was glad to see last week um, – couple of my bills get across the finish line, including uh, year-round E15 for the first time getting across the finish line in a House of Congress. We'll include that in our discussion this morning. I want to ask this. What would be a probable timetable as you see it for the rest of the year? Uh, there is an election that's coming. There is financial legislation that needs to be resolved. What's What's probable for this year for both that legislation you introduced and for others? Well, I, I think we are um, we're going to have to continue to be here if that is uh, in in fact the case. We're going to have to do whatever it takes to continue addressing uh, economic issues in our country, whether that's uh, lowering the price of, of fuel um, by making sure we can still sell E15 and uh, a holiday on uh, federal gas tax. I've also called for it at the state level. Uh, whether that uh, is how do we bring down uh, food prices uh, in our economy? And it, it's a strange economy, right, because Minnesota's got a 2% unemployment rate. Uh, my businesses and, of course, my farmers and ranchers are begging for, uh, for staffing for workers right now. Uh, and, of course, our supply chains are all disrupted from uh, Russia, Ukraine, from uh, a COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, and, of course, when you've got the largest importer of goods to America basically shut down for two and a half years because they didn't uh, invent uh, a good vaccine, China, then you've got a really culmination of a whole lot of problems. So we got to do everything we can to continue to address the issues. And, um, 
you know, I think the strengthening the Ag and Food Supply Chain Act uh, that passed the House last week is part of this package. Um, I think that's part of it, but, you know, in the long run, it'll be part of it. But in the short run, we need to do everything we can to give some relief to the American people. So from your perspective, what caused this supply chain bottleneck that we're facing now? Can Washington actually help and resolve it, or is this something that will just take time for the market uh, and and private industry to work out? Well, that's, you know, the, the thing about it. I come from the private sector. I spent 22 years there. I was part of the supply chain caucus before we even ended up in a pandemic, and most of these supply chains are private supply chains, and you're exactly right. You asked what caused it. Look, as I said, when you've got, uh, you know, shipping containers that are sitting off uh, ports in America for weeks and weeks and weeks, that's a problem. And so, you know, some of the shipping reform uh, legislation that we've passed to provide some efficiency in unloading those containers, uh, you know, some of those container companies have taken advantage of the situation, uh, and they've... Um, price gouged uh, American consumers. And when you import so much from China, uh, and China is literally shut down, you've got a huge supply chain gap in goods coming to America. So how do we fix this? The Shipping Reform Act that we passed a couple of weeks ago, I think, is uh, a good, was a good bill that will help. But you're exactly right. Some of this uh, is just going to take time. I, I would add, though, that you know, on the gas and fuel side of this, uh, I'm more of an all-of-the-above uh, energy kind of Democrat. And um, so if that means in the short run we need to, uh, you know, encourage U.S. Uh, oil companies to drill more, there's about 7,000 leases already out there, uh, and I'd love to see uh, oil and natural gas production increase in the short term. And then in the long term, look, I don't want to be held hostage by any authoritarian government. So we need to accelerate our transition to uh, renewable energy. And the truth is that biofuels uh, are a, a huge part of how we reduce carbon emissions in America as well as decrease our reliance on foreign oil. There are some who have suggested this administration is playing favorites in the energy field a lot more investment into electric vehicles uh, than in the uh, biofuel area, even to say infrastructure and uh, tax credits and other other uh, support that has been in place uh, in the past. Do you see that? You know, I've been uh, hounding this administration on this point for the entire time they've uh, been in office. So. You know, you saw in the infrastructure bill last year, we were, uh, my office was really pushing the administration to include uh, biofuels infrastructure in that uh, final package. I, you know, the, um, uh, the bill last week uh, actually included some. I think that was Congresswoman Cindy Acne's part of the bill. Um, but, you know, I think they're coming around, Jeff. Um, you know, when you've got uh, gas prices the way they are and E88 ethanol selling for what about 40 cents less at many of the retail stations that I pass every single day it, it, it certainly gets the attention of the administration so we've seen them in the last several months uh, really change their view we've also seen the EPA uh, admit that you know finally admit which we've been telling them for years that um you know, air pollution uh, with E88, with ethanol, 
is is uh, you know does not contribute to additional air pollution. So, you know, we're seeing them come around a little bit. Um, certainly, in you know maybe the next thirty to fifty years, we're going to see a lot more electric vehicles. But the argument that I make to my colleagues here in the Democratic Caucus, in particular, is you know it's not very progressive uh, to transition your transportation infrastructure to vehicles that most people can't afford, and especially in today's day and time, much less may not even be able to get it because uh, a chip shortage and other issues out there. So, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of that fight myself uh, and certainly have been pressing uh, the EPA on this issue for months now, and that's what I'm going to continue to do because I fundamentally believe even California wouldn't be leading its uh, reduction in carbon emissions its goals without ethanol. And so uh, I, I think this is a moment where biofuels really have, um, you know, taken uh, center stage and the administration and others in my Democratic caucus are starting to understand a little bit more. It's, uh, this is, you know, not your grandfather's ethanol. So uh, the industry itself has improved, uh, and I think it's just an opportunity here. Plus, it's cheaper to consumers. So it's, it's a moment, and I think we have to capitalize on this moment here. Affordable electricity has been important to rural America, to manufacturing, to the nation. And if we're going to increase the use, do we have an adequate baseload supply to meet this demand? Well, that's why I'm a all-of-the-above energy member of Congress, is because I, I don't think uh, that uh, we are in the circumstance where we can move or transition overnight uh, to wind and solar and some of the goals that we've put out there. So I think we have to be smart about this. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we uh, we see what happens in Texas uh, every once in a while. Uh, and I, I think that we've just got to be smart about this. The American people want us to be smart. They want us to address climate change, but they want us to do it in a way that is smart, that allows the, the market itself uh, to transition its energy in the appropriate way. And I think we need to accelerate that transition toward more renewable but sources. But at the end of the day, uh, we don't need rolling blackouts across the, the country um, because we didn't properly plan for the right risk-benefit uh, situation. And I think that that's going to come up over and over again. And you know, we we need more folks out there who are willing to have that conversation uh, on both sides of the aisle. Aside from your year-round E15, uh, what was in the Lower Food and Fuel Costs Act that really gained your support? Well, I had a second bill in there that uh, would create a task force uh, at the USDA that would be exclusively focused on shoring up ag and food supply chains and you know, prevent those bottlenecks uh, and lower food costs in the future. So uh, those were the two parts uh, of my bill. Cindy Axney's bill that would add some infrastructure to biofuels across the country uh, was a great part of that bill, too. And I'll be honest with you, it was a little bit like whack-a-mole uh, last week in the Congress uh, because, you know, every time we thought we had the votes sewn up, uh, you know, some, somebody would sort of step off and uh, provide some reason why they didn't like 
the package. And uh, if you watch the vote on the House floor, uh, Republicans, uh, my good friends on the other side of the aisle, they made uh, us get it across the finish line with enough Democratic votes uh, before they voted there at the end. But, uh, you know, we did have a, a number of my Republican colleagues who did support the package in the end. And uh, shout out to South Dakota's Dusty Johnson and Randy Seenstra and Ashley Henson from Iowa. Uh, they are good ag partners just trying to do the right thing for family farmers and ranchers. Uh, and we work together on a lot of this in a bipartisan way. It was said to be a poison pill, but the creation of an investigator's office at the Packers and Stockyards of USDA. Did you agree with that? Well, look, I mean, uh, it, it wasn't a poison pill. I mean, uh, to, to, I, I know that uh, some folks were uh, opposing that part of the bill, but I mean, this was the first time in the history of America we've gotten around E15 across the finish line. So, I mean, um, you know, a, a little office uh, to me was, uh, you know, something that I could vote for uh, to get E15 across the finish line. And I wish more of my Republican colleagues had done so. Clearly, if that, you know, if my bill E15 had come to the House floor in a um, standalone fashion, it would have gotten a whole lot more Republicans vote for it. But uh, sometimes you get, you know, industry players uh, are, that are on the, the pro and the opposite side of a particular bill. And so, you know, we also had, to be candid with you, uh, refiners down in Texas opposing the bill because they don't, uh, you know, refine ethanol. So it, it was a bit of a, like I said, whack-a-mole last week with making sure that we had enough votes to get the lower food and fuel costs act across the finish line. How about Senator Grassley's Price Discovery and Transparency Act that would mandate numbers of uh, cattle that have to go through the cash trade? Uh, before the debate last week in the Senate Ag Committee, a number of Farm Bureau presidents raising concern about it, the Cattlemen's Beef Association and Farm Bureau as well. What are your thoughts? Well, to be honest with you, i got enough uh, going on over here in the House that I'm not following those Senate bills as, as closely until they get to the finish line and can possibly come over here. But, uh, you know, uh, my, my uh, we sit down with our, our cattlemen regularly, and I'm proud to be endorsed by the Minnesota Farm Bureau. So uh, we'll take a look at that. But, uh, you know, we, we listen to our, our ranchers closely in this office, and so we got a, a lot of good ranchers in, in the 2nd District. How will climate debate and carbon sequestration influence this new farm bill debate well i think it's going to be a big part of it um you know i tend to uh, be very focused on how can we uh, provide carrots uh, rather than sticks to america's farmers and ranchers how can we partner with them to be part of the solution how do we uh, incentivize them to sequester carbon uh, to you know do no-till planning uh, how do we reward them to um uh, to do what I know they want to do, which is, uh, you know, preserve the land and protect, uh, pr- protect, uh, what, what their legacy, uh, on, on the farm. So we're going to be, you know, very focused on that. You know, I've been a strong, strong supporter, uh, over the years of a number of conservation, uh, initi- initiatives in the farm bill and we'll continue to do so and we'll look, you know, for, uh, other opportunities to re- reward, um, uh, reducing carbon emissions and, of course, a uh, big, big supporter uh, of 
making sure that we're doing everything we can to limit uh, fertilizer runoff into our waters, waterways and our rivers and our streams and that Section 319 funding over the years. So we'll be looking for that. I think the, you know, the fight is always on the nutrition title uh, between uh, the two parties. And, you know, my focus uh, is more on how do we make sure that uh, we uh, protect the farm safety net uh, so that Americans, uh, American farmers can continue to feed the world. With the prices of commodities that we're seeing today, are we going to need to index the PLC or others to reflect this current farm economy? The stakes at the table are higher. Yeah, they're higher, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that will likely be one idea that comes up in the discussions of the Farm Bill, but, you know, input costs are way up, too, right now. So I think um, it's a... It's going to be a complicated farm bill. There's, uh, you know, lots of stakeholders involved in this fight. We're, you know, holding a listening session back in Minnesota here this summer um, with Representative Sherry Bustos and the, the subcommittee uh, to hear from uh, our farmers and ranchers on, you know, where they would like for me to focus in the next farm bill, and uh, that's what that's what we will be focused on. So, thinking then about the farm bill, when we look at uh, nutrition, when we look at the ideas for carbon, when we look at risk management, all of those have a price tag. Uh, can you justify seeing additional dollars for farm program spending with the uh, the uh, budget environment that we find ourselves in? Well, we're going to have to be. Uh, aware and cognizant uh, of the budget environment. On the other hand, uh, you know, I remember a time when uh, America's farmers for nearly a decade uh, barely made uh, any money uh, and uh, prices were low for a sustained period of time. So I do think that these farm safety nets are critical uh, to make sure that, you know, we have as many family farmers that are still able to operate. You know, I, uh, you know, in my district, uh, we've got more than 4,000 family farms, and, uh, I, you know, I'm, I don't want to see further consolidation if I can help prevent it, particularly uh, with uh, the number of uh, what I'd call, you know, small to medium-sized farms in my congressional district, Jeff. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, um, but we do have to be uh, disciplined here, uh, and, you know, it'll, it'll be what it always is, and that's a, a, a really robust discussion uh, about uh, how much we, we spend, uh, and at the end of the day, my goal is to make sure that uh, the family farmer sustains its business and that uh, new and beginning farmers uh, have an opportunity to uh, to farm. We also have to include in this debate investment in rural America and rural economic growth as a part of the farm program. Well, it's absolutely critical. And, I, you know, I've also served over the course of this particular Congress um, on a select committee on economic disparity and fairness and growth. And on that committee, I've been charged with representing family farmers in rural communities. And, of course, my base for that is southeastern uh, Minnesota. So, you know, broadband is not a luxury. It's the infrastructure of the 21st century. We're seeing a resurgence uh, and people moving to a little bit of a resurgence and people moving to rural communities. Uh, uh, with a little more uh, 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 quality of life, and uh, broadband is really going to enable that. Um, plus, uh, rural infrastructure. That was something that in the bipartisan infrastructure bill that I was particularly focused on is, you know, making sure that uh, we're, we don't forget about 
the infrastructure that's required in greater Minnesota and rural communities across uh, the country. And, you know, finally, I just, just say that, um, you know, one of the things that's come out of my select committee work is just how important access to health care remains in rural communities. And so, you know, if you're going to have a strong rural community, um, you know, you need broadband, you need access to health care without having to drive an hour uh, to get it. And, um, you know, more and more people can work, they can start businesses anywhere. And so all of this is, is related and uh, it's going to be an important part of what we consider when we look at the next farm bill. Congresswoman, we want to thank you for taking time during a very busy schedule in Washington to spend with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic. Today, you've got the last word. Well, I just want to say thank you to um, all of those uh, farmers in my congressional district, uh, you know, those corn growers, uh, soybean guys who have really advocated for biofuels over the years to me. It's really been an honor to be in the middle of this uh, what I would call a battle uh, of biofuels, particularly versus big oil. And um, you know what side I'm on, and I will continue to advocate and fight for you. Our thanks to Minnesota 2nd District Representative Angie Craig, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CropLife America. Learn about the EPA regulatory process at croplifeamerica.org slash federal pesticide regulation. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.